This morning's reading is from Habakkuk uh, chapter 3. That's going to be all of chapter 3, starting at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, Onshinyanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known, and in wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed to scatter us gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. But the director of music are my stringed instruments. Thank you, dear. Well, do keep that passage open uh, in front of you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we pray as we've sung that your spirit would be our teacher and that the spirit who uh, opened the eyes of Habakkuk to see this oracle would open our eyes now and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is always startling when the righteous live by faith when believers live by faith. So Jan Hus was uh, one of the forerunners to the Reformation. And uh, on July the 6th, 1415, he was handed over by a church council to be burned at the stake for his beliefs. He was given the opportunity of a pardon if he would denounce his beliefs, and he refused. And he said this, I shall die with joy today in the faith of the gospel which I have preached. Now, startling because his faith seems to live free of his circumstances, which were dire, about to be burned at the stake. Now, less dramatic than that, maybe, but 
It would have been startling in uh, the last two or three years when uh, across workplaces in the UK, redundancies were announced, job losses announced. That when Christians were affected by those same job losses, by the same bad news, to react and still retain a quiet trust for the righteous live by a faith that um, lives free of circumstances. Their faith is not somehow tied to circumstances. And that is startling. And we see the same thing happen actually in the final part of the oracle that Habakkuk saw. And it's startling. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 16, we find the prophet Habakkuk is shaking. So his legs are about to collapse beneath him. He's so terrified. Yet he quietly waits. Verse 17, he declares that even if his days are marked by no obvious blessing, he will rejoice in the Lord. Verse 18, he waits through shaking, he rejoices through no blessing. And we need to understand how he has come to this point. How to live not by our fortunes which come and go, but by a faith that is fed by something other than the ups and downs of life. Because although there is lots that has changed since Habakkuk's day, there's lots that is the same. The righteous still live by faith. There'll be uh, Christian people here today who know what it is to live in an atmosphere, in circumstances that feel a bit more like curse than like blessing, in which prayers aren't answered. And we need to have our confidence rooted not in our circumstances, but in something else. And by the end of this book, The prophet Habakkuk, he's able to wait quietly, though he trembles, to exalt in the Lord, though there's no blessing in sight. And we need to understand how. And the answer is in verses 1 to 15. It's the final part of the oracle that Habakkuk saw. I put something of a summary on the sheet. The creator Lord shakes the earth when he saves his people. But a prose summary never quite captures what is really poetry. And so we'll need to look at the verses together. Verse 1. Now, from the very beginning of the chapter, a change is signaled from what we've seen in Habakkuk before. This is, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. It's not a complaint, but a prayer. Not a complaint, Lord, why are you idle? But a prayer, Lord, please act as I know you have done before. A prayer on Shigianoth, or according to Shigianoth. It's hard to be certain what that means, but it means at least that what is to come is full of intensity and needs a rhythm to match it. And Habakkuk begins with news he has heard of the Lord. Verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Now, the deeds he speaks about, they're not the deeds that he heard about in chapter 1, verse 5, when he was told of the work, the deeds that the Lord would do in his day to raise up the Babylonians to sweep Judah away. No, this report that he's heard, these deeds... They've been hidden or dormant for a time. And he's asking the Lord to revive them. Verse 2. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. He sums up what he means at the end of verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. That is, in the midst of the wrath that is about to come on your people, remember mercy to your people. And verse 3. God came from Teman. This is the Lord on the march from the south, Teman. The Holy One from Mount Paran, from the mountain country of Paran. This is a march by the Lord from the desert 
into Egypt via Sinai. It is, as we'll see, a march of rescue. Now, there are reminders here and in the verses that follow of the exodus, of historical events, of the conquest of the promised lands. But what Habakkuk reports here is not the details of one event that can be pinned down. He describes here what it typically looks like when the Lord comes out to save. It's wrapped up in those historical memories because the Lord has come out to save before. And so in verse 3 to 15, we're to be nourished by this vision of what it's like when the Lord typically comes out to save. And as he comes, the end of verse 3, we begin to understand why it's not a pipe dream that one day the whole earth will be full of the Lord's glory. I don't know if you remember that verse that stood out last week in that vision. Chapter 2, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But up until now in this oracle, that seemed like a long way off. If anything, the Lord has seemed to be absentee, chapter 1. Habakkuk's great complaint in that chapter was that the earth seemed to be abandoned to the Babylonians and the Lord absentee. But in chapter 3, verse 3, Habakkuk knows that the earth and the heavens have been full of the Lord's fame before when the Lord swept up from the south on the march of rescue. Verse 3, his glory covered the heavens The earth was full of his praise. And then in verses 4 and 5, the picture builds about just who this God is. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. The theme of verse 4 is creative light and power. So the one who comes, his brightness is like the light, like the, the sun that shines on the earth. Perhaps because he's the source of light. Light shoots out from him. Rays flash from his hand, verse 4. And though he shines like the light and lightning flashes from him, he has still a more terrifying accompaniment in verse 5. Do you see this God who comes out has, tagging along in front and behind, two of the most powerful and destructive forces that the ancient world could think of, personified in verse 5 like henchmen, plague who goes before him pestilence or firebolt who follows at his heels. And we're supposed to ask with Habakkuk, who is this one who can have these powers trained like animals on a leash? Well, he is the only one who's in the position to stand, verse 6, over all the earth, surveying it, because he's the one who made it. But in verse 6, he surveys it in order to shake it. Verse 6, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Now this is uh, important, that he shook the earth and that he made the nations to tremble. It's one of the things that, come verse 16, will sustain Habakkuk and sustains the believer when they tremble and shake. For it's vital that the people in the plots that make him tremble and that make him shake will themselves be shaken. That they, will be trem- that they will tremble, they will be brought to kneel in a way that surpasses what happens to Habakkuk. When the Lord comes out, Habakkuk is reminded that the earth is not, as he had feared in chapter 1, a playground for the arrogant, in which God is absentee. But when the Lord comes out, he comes as creator and shakes the nations. 
And notice in the second half of verse 6, nothing can withstand the shaking by the Creator Lord. Even the most stable and lasting things, the ancient mountains crumbled, the age-old hills collapsed, they sank low, they were bowed down, prostrated, humbled. See, the hills and the mountains, they make pretensions to last, but the only things that last are the Lord's ways. They alone are eternal. They cannot be removed. This gives the Lord honor and it gives his people confidence. The ways of our covenant Lord last forever. And there's vindication too for God's people in verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Literally, the dwellings of Midian trembled. These are neighbor nations who have in different times taunted and plotted against God's people. And they now come to know that the Lord of Israel is the Lord of all, and they too tremble. You see, the point about trembling is that the trembling person or the trembling nation is no longer indifferent. So here the nations cannot be indifferent to the Lord and his people. They cannot be arrogant before the Lord and his people. For to tremble, to be shaken, is to be made to feel the force of the Lord's greatness. Well, in verse 8, Habakkuk asks a different question. He says, who is the Lord angry at? Who actually is the Lord coming out against? Who did he come out against? Did he come out against earth and heaven itself? Well, you'd think so, verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You'd think the Lord came out against the earth and the heavens themselves because of the effect that he has on them. They shrink before the Lord and surrender before him. Verse 9, you, Lord, uncovered your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains, usually immovable and different, the mountains saw the Lord and writhed, torrents of water swept by. And if the most stable things in heaven and earth are shaken when the Lord comes, the most stubborn surrender before him. Verse 10. The deep roared. Literally, it gave forth its voice. It yielded. It lifted its hands on high. Even the untamable deep gives forth its voice, blurts out its secrets, surrenders before the Lord. And verse 11, those continual movers, the sun and the moon, stood still in the heavens. Their job uh, to give light, well, it's not needed anymore. Because what lights up the sky now is, verse 11, it's the flash and the light of the warrior Lord as he comes. The sun and moon stood still at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Now, all this is actually a telltale sign of what is about to happen. It's a cue for something else. It happens elsewhere in Scripture. And when the Lord, Creator Lord, comes out and makes his earth tremble and shake, it is a cue that he has come out to save his people. The people he has made promises to, his covenant people. And so, verse 12, Habakkuk says, In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. This is the Lord in righteous anger, trampling down the nations 
who defied him in their arrogance. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. These might feel like two very different verses, but there isn't a contradiction between verse 12 and verse 13. He threshes the nations in anger, verse 12, and he goes out to save his people, verse 13. And actually, both those things are at the heart of the believer's hope. On the one hand, that the Creator Lord, who is true to his name, will bring justice to all the earth. But on the other hand, that the Covenant Lord will be true to his name and keep his promises, keep the promises he has made to his people. And verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Saving God's people has always been wrapped up with saving his chosen ruler, his chosen king, the Christ of his people. And just as his people are saved when he saves his anointed, so the wicked are defeated when the leader of the wicked is defeated. End of verse 13. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. This is the pattern of salvation. It's what it's like when the Lord comes out to save. It always has been. When the Lord came out in the exodus against Pharaoh, he crushed Pharaoh, the ruler um, of the Egyptians. At the cross, the Lord has crushed Satan, the ruler of the disobedient. This is the shape of salvation. And then in verse 14, it is always the same when the Lord saves that he saves in a really convincing fashion. It's a resounding victory. Verse 14, with his own spear you pierced his head. A normal victory becomes a resounding victory when the Lord uses the enemy's own weapons to defeat him. Now in verse 14, Habakkuk celebrates this victory because the enemies of God's people had looked unaccountable. And this isn't hypothetical for him. So coming over the horizon, the Babylonians, like a whirlwind come, thinking they can eat up God's people without any consequences. And Habakkuk needs to know there'll be an answer, that they in their turn will be roundly shaken. And God's people need to know that God's world is not in the end a playground for the arrogant. And so the section ends, verse 15, with this vision of the Lord's force as he rides out to rescue. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. And now on the other side of this vision, we come to the startling position with which we began. Verse 16, Habakkuk speaks. And he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. For the second time in this chapter, Habakkuk hears. But what he hears this time is not the report, verse 2 and following, of God's mercy. He trembles not because of that, but because of what he hears now. Verse 16, the invasion that is coming. And he's overcome by shaking. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Physically, he's about to collapse. His legs are about to collapse beneath him. He's so terrified about what is to come. 
This is a far cry from the Stoic who prides himself on not being affected by circumstances. No, Habakkuk trembles. He shakes. And that is important as we think about what this means for us. The mark of the righteous who live by faith, it's not being, it's not, um, being fearless, never being scared, never being shaken, never trembling. What marks out Habakkuk and marks out believers who wait by faith is that they wait through that shaking. They wait. Verse 16. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That is the day the Lord comes out, a summary of what we've been hearing about in verse 3 to 15. And it's waiting that the righteous do by faith. We heard last week, chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said, if the vision seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The righteous shall live by his faith. And the reason he can wait through shaking is because his faith does not depend on his fortunes, which are about to take his legs from under him. No, his faith depends on something different. The work that he's visualized in verses 3 to 15, the Lord marching out to rescue his people. And every believer here is to wait by faith. So since Habakkuk's day, much has happened. The Babylonians have come and gone. And since then, the pattern of God's salvation, in verses 3 to 15, it's been played out again in history at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And actually, that was done supremely by one who lived by faith. The rescue came by a man who endured the hostility of sinful men. He trembled in Gethsemane. He shrank before the prospect of the cross, but he endured it for our sake, for the joy set before him. And yet we still wait for salvation. We still wait for it by faith. It's in the future tense. The righteous still have to wait. And though it's not invaders, God's people still live in the midst of a hostile world. There'll be people here this morning who will feel acutely the difficulty of living in a hostile world. And Habakkuk says, I will wait, though I shake. And to wait means to let ourselves be sustained by the prospect of that day, when the Lord comes out to shake the earth and to save his people. So uh, the things that make you and I tremble are not actually the things that have the last word in our lives. For all things will be shaken in a way that surpasses it, No one will be indifferent to the Lord, our Lord, on that day. Because he orchestrates that day to save us, to vindicate his people, to remove the threat and the hostility, and to restore justice. But if Habakkuk waits through shaking, we see in verse 17, he rejoices through no blessing. Verse 17, Habakkuk imagines that the rest of his days are marked by no blessing. It is, if you like, a worst-case scenario. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, even if that sums up the rest of my days, yet, he goes on, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now Habakkuk knows this is startling. He knows that this is a surprising contrast. He knows that joy and rejoicing in the Lord usually accompanies the Lord's salvation. And the Lord is not saving in his day. No, he says, if this day is marked by no blessing, I will still rejoice. And he's shown us how and why. Until now, our confidence in the Lord went up and down with the circumstances of life, with the blessing of our lives, with the fulfillment of our hopes, our expectations, whether our prayers were answered. But Habakkuk has shown us a different way. Faith can live free of circumstances. And the reason faith can live free of circumstances is that our relationship with the Lord does not stand or fall on whether we receive blessing in our day. We can still rejoice and exalt and triumph in the Lord even if our day, our generation, feels more like curse than blessing because our relationship with the Lord stands or falls on verse 3 to 15 with all its details. The Lord marching out to deliver his people. It is God's very nature. It typifies him to march out as a warrior in the world to show mercy to his people. He has done it before, and he'll do it again. And that's why Habakkuk is joyful, verse 18, in God his Savior. That is the steady ground that's to fix our faith. And so it's fitting that Habakkuk ends, verse 19, with a picture of strength and stability. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer that is steady and firm, enabling him, enabling us to go on the heights. So given all the trembling and the shaking that may come for us, we're to know, like Habakkuk did, in what we have our strength and in who We have our Savior. It is the Lord. He makes us steady and firm. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for uh, the vision of uh, salvation that we see, that uh, as you, the Lord, march out um, to shake the earth, you do so to save and have mercy on your people. And we pray that that vision that Habakkuk saw would sustain us too, through trembling, through shaking, through no blessing. Please, would we not read your character off our circumstances, but instead off this promise of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.